Welcome to Dirty Drinks, where infectious disease and infection prevention professionals get together and talk about everything dirty that keeps them up at night. Join co-hosts Dr. Rick Starlin and Sarah Stream as they talk to other professionals about the dirty things that they think about every day. All right, everyone, welcome to our very first episode of Dirty Drinks. And we are going to introduce you guys to some awesome infection prevention and infectious disease professionals and find out um, what makes them tick. So we're very excited about this. Today, I have my co-host, uh, Dr. Rick Starlin on. Rick, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Sarah. Yes, this is super exciting. I'm happy to be on and get this started. Uh, as uh, Sarah said, we're looking to uh, get some interesting people in infectious disease and infection prevention on and discuss maybe some interesting topics with them as time goes forward. So we hope you all find this very enlightening. Um, I am Rick Starlin, as she said. I'm an infectious disease specialist at UNMC. Um, I've been at UNMC since December of 2018. And prior to that, I was in private practice in the Omaha area since 2004. Um, very involved in the um, uh, employee health aspect of things here at UNMC and very busy with COVID, as you can imagine. Also, I've done a lot of infection prevention over the years and involved in uh, some of that here at UNMC as well. Uh, so uh, just a little bit about myself. I grew up actually in an Air Force family and so moved all over the place. So Nebraska is kind of my adopted home. Went to school at UNMC and then did all of my training in St. Louis at Washington University prior to eventually moving up here and taking the private practice job. Awesome. So you're from all over the place then? Correct. Yeah, I don't really have a home necessarily. I was actually born in California, but uh, before the age of 12, when we moved here, I don't know that I remember a single person. <laughs> so uh, these people that talk about knowing people their whole lives and going to kindergarten with them, I find very foreign because I, I can't relate to that at all. Oh yeah, that's very understandable. Yeah, my brother was born in Cheyenne actually and my sister in Albuquerque. So none of us are anywhere close to where we were born. So um, interesting, interesting. But it's been great. I, you learn how to make friends fast because you're always on the move. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Um, and so my turn to turn the tables on Sarah and ask her a little bit about uh, infection prevention. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and uh, how you ended up in this field. Sure. So my name is Sarah Stream. I am an infection preventionist with the Nebraska ICAP team, and we're grant funded through the CDC and Nebraska DHHS Department of Epidemiology to help with infection prevention support around the state. I have a background in dentistry, so um, I'm a little bit of the odd duck out on the IP team. I got my associate's degree in dental assisting in 2007, and then went on to my bachelor's degree in 2016 so I could teach. That was a requirement of being able to be a program director for dental assisting. And then in 2019, I graduated with my master's degree in public health from Benedictine University. And I've really always been 
fascinated with infection control um, ever since I was a clinical DA. Um, I always really loved those gross pictures in school when we did like oral pathology class and, you know, seeing what herpetic Whitlow looks like and all those fun things. Um, I had the opportunity to be an instructor for a dental assisting uh, program here in the metro area. And um, that just kind of spurred my love for infection control even more. That was my favorite class to teach. Um, and, you know, I just kind of developed a passion for it and got lucky enough that the ICAP team wanted me as a part of what they were doing. And so here I am. Well, great. Well, hopefully we're not seeing too much herpetic Whitlow anymore since everybody should be wearing gloves when they have hands in people's mouths. But uh, certainly a lot of pictures that you can find. Why did you get into infectious diseases? That's a great question. Um, I honestly, when I started out in college, I was actually in an engineering uh, major and figured out that I didn't really enjoy that very much. So I transitioned through a couple things and decided that I'd give medical school a go. Um, I actually, my one of my favorite classes in undergraduate was parasitology. Um, actually, one of my colleagues here in internal medicine, his dad was the professor teaching us, which was great. It was a great class, very interesting. And of course, I do nothing in parasitology now, but it got my interest in, uh, in infectious disease. Um, uh, just kind of peaked it uh, a little bit. And then um, coming into medical school, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, um, but I certainly was drawn to internal medicine. And then the infectious disease aspect just kind of came up because of how broad it is and how complicated it is and uh, all the different parts of internal medicine that you have to pull together in order to make a diagnosis and a therapeutic plan for people. So I think it's the complexity, the broadness, um, as well as not being focused on just one area, like just the heart or just the kidneys that, that drew me to infectious disease. That's awesome. I am a fan of infection prevention because it's the gross part of things. I very much like those nerdy gross pictures so <laughs> <laughs> i've always had a lot of gross pictures uh, that i've taken for people's charts and things when we're looking at wounds or or something so i, I we do get to see different parts of uh, of uh, uh medicine as infectious disease doctors that maybe others outside of surgeons uh, don't see as often just because those are the things that get infected yeah what did you do in dentistry before infection uh, prevention stuff? Um, I was a clinical dental assistant. So um, I assisted the doctor. I was a surgical assistant and restorative assistant. I was also a lab tech. So I made like dentures and partials and worked on crowns. That was always a lot of fun. Um, I was an office manager for a while and I hated it. Sitting in front of a desk and processing insurance claims was not my thing at all. But really, um, as a dental assistant in a small practice, you have to be all of those things, plus the infection control coordinator, because nobody else is going to do it. We don't have a, like an infection control team of infection preventionists that are keeping an eye on those things. So what's your favorite part about being an ID doc? 
Well, uh, I think, again, I like the, the complexity of it and the difficult diagnoses that we have to make, which is also one of my main sources of anxiety and infectious disease, which is kind of ironic. Um, but I like the fact that uh, a lot of things in medicine are uh, we diagnose and then we palliate chronic illnesses that we can't really necessarily cure. And infectious diseases, a lot of things, if we can figure out what's uh, uh, wrong with the patient and what the infecting organism is, we can actually cure a lot of illnesses and get people back to um, the health that they were before they got ill or at least close to it. And so I think I enjoy the, the diagnostic dilemmas, but also the ability to make uh, help people get better. That's awesome. So you are uh, a bit of a Sherlock then. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, if anybody watches the show House, he's a, a, a little bit over the top infectious disease specialist, but similar type thing where you get a bunch of, do uh, of uh, a diagnostic dilemmas, you line up the usual suspects and you gradually rule them out, much like Sherlock Holmes would do or a detective would do. And you try to come up with a way to figure out who is the culprit, or in our case, what is the culprit, and, and how can you remedy or mitigate that? Awesome. So what part of infection prevention uh, do you enjoy the most uh, uh, that you you have worked on or interested in, anything like that? Um, I think for me, the most, uh, the most intriguing part of it, uh, like I said before, I kind of have this dental background, right? So I, I've not been in the hospital setting. Um, my most fascinating favorite thing to talk about is uh, dental unit water line management and some of the nasty stuff that grows in that biofilm in the water lines. So. Um, you know, there's always some Legionella outbreak somewhere or Pseudomonas is popping up. And unfortunately, they've been linked to dental facilities. So, yeah, so I mean, infection prevention, we typically think of as being a thing that you do in the hospital. So obviously, you're talking about doing it in a completely different setting in a dental office or maybe even medical offices and things like that. So how does one adapt what we know works in a hospital to what works in those different settings? Really, they're the same principles. Um, we talk about standard precautions and our environmental cleaning and disinfection. All of those same principles apply across the board. Um, it's just kind of putting them into practice that's a little bit different. Um, you know, in big hospitals, they have a central sterile with really big floor to ceiling sterilizers and you can put whole carts in there. Whereas, you know, a dental facility or some of the smaller outpatient facilities, we have maybe one M11 sterilizer you can get two trays in. So it's just a very smaller scale. Um, and I think the biggest difference um, from the dental field into uh, working with hospitals and other acute care facilities is um, some of the regulatory differences that are there. There's not a whole lot of regulatory guidance in dental practices. They're kind of seen as a small business instead of a healthcare facility. So that's always been a challenge as far as infection control goes. Right, I agree, I agree. I mean, there's a lot more guidance on what you can do in a big hospital-based facility as far as uh, what you can and should do in the outpatient facilities is, you know, 
you said we could continue to do our standard things, which I agree with completely. It's just a question of implementing and following it and everything else in a, in a setting like that, I think is, is way different without the resources that a hospital has, right? Yeah, and there's also kind of a lack of oversight as well, you know, um, in a small dental facility with only a few employees, OSHA isn't going to come in and look at you unless somebody dies. So there's a little bit of that going on as well. It's like kind of like the wild west of infection control. <laughs> as an ID doc, what is the one thing that keeps you up at night? Well, I kind of alluded to it. Some of it's the complexity of things that um, we like to get answers. As infectious disease doctors, we, our goal is, is to find out what clinically is going on and, and ideally what is the pathogen or the causative uh, agent in the infection, whether it be bacterial or viral or fungal or whatever. So many times we don't know that right away and many times we don't even figure it out, uh, but uh, it's, it's a little bit uh, anxiety provoking when you've got uh, a very sick, uh, ill patient who you don't have a diagnosis on and you're trying to sit there at night and go to sleep while you're thinking, have I done everything that I can to figure this out? And do I have them on the appropriate therapy that's gonna uh, you know, lead to them getting better when you're dealing with a lot of unknowns? I don't know how many sleepless nights or hours of sleep I've lost worrying about those sorts of things um, without, just because I don't know what the answer is. Uh, it's easier when I know they've got a staph infection and I know that I have them on an antibiotic and I know that I have them on the right antibiotic. Those unknown cases, especially those people that are really sick are the ones that uh, make me lose sleep. What is the craziest thing you've ever seen? The craziest thing I've ever seen? Boy, we've seen lots of crazy things, honestly. Um, the thing that sticks in my mind is from when I was in training, actually. So I was a, a medicine, internal medicine resident and we were working in the emergency room and so we had, uh, it was super busy. Uh, and there was a patient that came in that was actually, he was paraplegic from a prior gunshot wound to his spine and came in with a fever and was not feeling well. Um, I think he was not uh, uh, thinking completely clearly either. He didn't have any obvious source for where he was infected. Um, and so we were trying to work him up, figure out what was going on. And one of the things that we were interested in is could he have a urinary tract infection? Because that's pretty common in paraplegics who uh, don't have the ability to avoid on their own. He had a chronic catheter, those kinds of things. So we were trying to pass a Foley catheter um, into his bladder in order to get a specimen. And we kept you know, trying and we couldn't seem to get any urine return for whatever reason. So we didn't know if it was just that he was not making any urine because he was in renal failure or something. Um, so eventually we decided, well, let's flush the catheter and see where, uh, you know, what if we get any return. And the only thing that we noticed was that the bed was wet. And so we, we had the aha moment that we better, uh, you know, turn this poor guy over and see what's going on. And he actually had had a pressure ulcer that had eroded its way all the way through his prostatic urethra. And we could see the Foley catheter coming out the backside. And I was like, wow. And that was when I was an intern 
And I had never seen anything like that before. And I've never forgotten it since that time. Yeah, that's pretty intense. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> never seen anything like that in dentistry. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you don't. I don't want to see it again either. That's never a good situation right there. Yeah, no doubt. I know as an infectious disease doctor, I've seen some people that have had horrible uh, mouth and neck infections in the past, you know, things uh, like strep infections or even actinomycosis. But I'm sure in a dental practice, you see some pretty significant problems. You asked me what was the worst thing that I'd seen. How about you and your role as uh, uh, working in these dental offices and seeing some, some bad things come in? Yeah, um, I guess for me in the dental facility, um, it's a little bit different because I see like these huge abscesses and people come in with a swollen face, but we never get to find out, you know, what that microorganism is. We just know that they're infected. Um, the craziest thing I've ever seen was right after I graduated, I worked in a public health practice and we had this guy come in um, and he told the front desk that he had a toothache. That's all he said. He um, was Hispanic and didn't speak much English. So there was that language barrier there as well. And when he came in, his cheek was like a grapefruit. It was huge, just like massive swelling. And um, we were able to get an x-ray and found a periapical abscess on one of his maxillary molars. And it was like had penetrated through, like pushed up through his sinus cavity and was getting pretty close to his brain and all of his vital nonsense up there. And the doctor I was working with at that time, um, we put in a drain. We, so we drained his abscess. We sutured a drain to the inside of his cheek and we sent him to the ER to start on IV antibiotics. Like right now, you need to go right now. And he came in, you know, three weeks later for his post-op check and all of his swelling had gone down and we took out that drain and he was a happy camper, but that was crazy. Yeah, outstanding. Um, so uh, you and your work with ICAP and dentistry and things like that, where do you think uh, we need to go for the future of this that we can actually help uh, facilities and patients ultimately making sure that the uh, things are done uh, to the standards and safety protocols that we need to follow. I think that make, giving every facility access to those standard resources is going to be important, um, especially training for new employees. Uh, I know, you know, a lot of medical professionals, um, I'm just going to pick on dental assistants because I'm one of them. You know, we may not have the appropriate standard training and infection control that we need to. So having access to those resources and support structure is going to be really important for maintaining that really high level of, you know, standard precautions that we need to. I also think that educating our patients on what we're doing and we're supposed to be doing should be important as well because they really, they have no idea on what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think education goes a long ways and there are certainly just basic principles that if we use those each and every uh, encounter can certainly make a difference. Uh, and so I, that is 
vitally important. I think one thing that we've learned through the COVID pandemic too is the importance of infection prevention and understanding uh, how things are spread and how things can be prevented. And hopefully that keeps the, uh, the interest and the uh, funding for infection prevention because it's going to be vital going forward for other things that are not COVID. Yeah, I think another thing that I've really um, noticed throughout the pandemic is the potential for misinformation and how quickly that spreads. So, you know, we as healthcare professionals, we kind of have a responsibility to get the correct information out to, you know, our employees and our patients. You know, somebody says that there's a microchip in the vaccine, we can sure educate them that that's not the case. Agree, hundred percent. I think that is vital, and I think one thing that uh, people that uh, hear things uh, from medical uh, people speak is that we try to do evidence based, um, and so that obviously means something significantly to us. In, in layman's term, what do you think of, uh, that means? That's a really good question. I actually got in an argument about my brother with my brother about this, who is not a medical person. Um, and talking to him about, uh, you know, our evidence-based research and all of these different things that, you know, we should rely on and trust. And it's really hard to explain to somebody who is not medically minded how important evidence-based research is. You know, this is the whole reason we have the FDA in place to approve drugs and our patient safety requirements is from all of this evidence that people have uh, worked on over their careers. I think that we need to, as a society, get behind all those scientists that have spent years of their lives researching these things and providing the evidence and the statistics to support it. And, um, you know, not, not relying on Joe Schmo YouTuber who thinks he found the cure for COVID in his basement. <laughs> right, and I think that some of the frustration with uh, the pandemic evolved around the fact that early on we didn't have that evidence. So we were going on based of what we thought was the best expert opinions that we could have. And as time's gone on, we've certainly gotten some of that evidence that helps us guide things going forward. But this was a novel event that uh, we didn't have that that evidence and so i think that that leads to the the ability for there to be misinformation or disinformation as well as a lack of trust because there was lots of changes that came up with this that couldn't really be helped uh, just to the fact that we didn't know yeah and you know i think it was it's a really big wake-up call for everyone you know we've gone decades without having a novel disease come out like this and kind of a little bit of a slap in the face that we weren't prepared as prepared as we should have been i guess <clears throat> and we're really lucky that it's not something like you know ebola or <laughs> some terrible variation of that where people bleed out of their orifices So uh, anything else from 
infection prevention or anything that you want to add or ask that we can talk about at this present time? Um, don't forget to wash your hands. <laughs> Always a good point. Always a good point. It is. I think that's like the number one IP advice, right? Wash your hands. It certainly is universally uh, recommended and should be applied and is the number one thing we can all do to protect ourselves. I agree. Or use hand sanitizer if you, yes. if you have that available too. That that works extremely well as well. Yeah. So, what about you? Any closing thoughts for this episode? No, I just hope that... Uh, Everybody uh, that listens in uh, is able to uh, stay in tune with us, and we hope to continue to introduce interesting people that are involved in infectious disease and in infection prevention, as well as just talk through some topics. Uh, uh, eventually, uh, we'd love to get some questions that maybe people want to have answered so that we can uh, try to talk through a few of them uh, and uh, just keep this rolling along. Thank you. Yeah. If there are any infectious disease specialists out there that want to be on our podcast, we would love to interview you. So um, just let us know. Thank you very much. So we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Dirty Drinks. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends if they enjoy Dirty Drinks. <laughs>